practical truth for the Christian life. That's the theme that we're looking at in the book of James. Practical truth for the Christian life. We're right in the middle of the book. Last week, you probably recall, we began chapter 3 in looking uh, at a a two-part sermon series on what I'm calling the the powerful tongue. So today is part 2 of that series on the powerful tongue, James chapter 3 verses 7 through 12. If you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Pray with me. Lord, this is your word. It's not James' best efforts on paper. It is the inspired word of the living God. And Lord, may the word go forth this morning. Again, we ask, open our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive it, we pray. Remove every distraction. Bind the evil one today. May we focus upon worshiping you through the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, guide me as I preach your word today. May it be done in a manner pleasing unto thee. Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know Christ, may they hear the gospel today. May we as Christians be um, challenged and encouraged and taught how to rightly Use our words under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Again, and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that true? No. We know it's not true. We know it's one of the biggest lies that's ever been told. You know, if I took a, a pad and a pen and I started passing it around this congregation and I asked you to write down all the times that you've been hurt by someone else's words or I asked you to write down all the times that you've hurt someone else with your words, I'd say we need a lot more pads and a lot more pens by the time we're done. We would fill that up. There's no doubt about it. Friends, as we read the Bible today, scriptures are teaching us just how painful imprudent words can be. If you remember, about a year, year and a half ago, we did a study on the book of Proverbs. I want to put up on the screen, not only now, but throughout the sermon, several verses today. We're going to start with Proverbs chapter 12, verse 8. Hear these words a man is commended let's see here proverbs 
Ah, it is not Proverbs 12.8, it is Proverbs 12.18 that we need to look at. So don't look it on the screen. See, I'm, we got those words messed up already. It's impossible to tame the tongue. <laughs> Proof right there. So listen to this one. You ready? This is Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. I want you to think about the imagery that Proverbs is using about words. That words can be so powerful when we use them one with another. If we're not careful, words are going to feel like a sword being thrusted into someone. What do we know about swords? They cut. It hurts. Swords can kill. And that's the imagery given to us from Proverbs 12 about our words. They're like sword thrusts. Friends, we started this conversation last week about the tongue. It is very powerful. What did we learn last week? Like the bit in the mouth of a horse, like the rudder on a ship, like the spark that starts a forest fire, the tongue is very small but very powerful. It can make the whole body yield to itself. Just like all those small things are so powerful to control all these big things. The tongue is very powerful. Now, last week, our focus was on the tongue being like a fire. You remember that article we read about a small fire starting this huge blaze. This, this week, we're focusing on the fact that no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Friends, these six verses we're looking at today break down into three simple points. If you have your bulletin, be sure and look on the back. What we learn today, number one, is simply the tongue is untamable by man. Secondly, the tongue shouldn't be divided. And then finally... The tongue needs the wisdom of Scripture. So let's look at that first point once again. The tongue is untamable by man. Look back at verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Once again, the master of illustrations, James, is giving us another example, another illustration to focus on. This time, it's of taming wild animals. And it reminds us really of the Genesis account when God created man um, on the sixth day. And God told man, you have dominion over the animals here on the earth. So here at the beginning, James is reminding man of things that he can tame, like the animals. I'll tell you a story. 
back in 2013, about six years ago, my family went to Disney's Animal Kingdom. Have you been to Animal Kingdom? Anybody? A few people have. Macy was five. Brock was seven, I believe. And we were exploring Animal Kingdom. We had never been to Animal Kingdom. And I think Deirdre said, let's go to the bird show. I'm like, I don't want to go to a bird show. I want to go see like a, a lion eat a buffalo or something. That, that's what I want to say. I don't want to go to a bird show. But we went to the bird show. And once I got there and saw the bird show, I was blown away, really. I was completely fascinated. It ended up being one of the neatest things I saw the whole trip. All these birds, small birds, medium-sized birds, big birds, they had been tamed. They, had, they were trained by these trainers here at Animal Kingdom, and they were responding to whatever the trainers told them to do. They actually got Macy, my daughter, who was five. They brought her up front in front of all the people, and they put a little grape in Macy's hand. And they said, Macy, throw that grape up in the air as high as you can. So she reared back, and she threw that grape up in the air. You're thinking, what's going to happen? She throws that grape up in the air, and off in the distance, here it comes. This bird swoops down, and that grape goes up, and it's dropping down, and right before it hits the people, that bird comes through and grabs that grape right out of the air. It was unbelievable. Couldn't, you know, we couldn't believe how much training had gone into these birds, how tame they were in that, in that setting. It ended up being a very fascinating uh, show. Maybe you've been to a circus, and you've watched someone with a whip have a lion that's tamed or a tiger that's tamed, an elephant. You know, some people even go so far to put their head inside of a lion's mouth. Or maybe you've been to SeaWorld and you've watched the dolphin show. Synchronized to music even with some of the whales that they are responding, they're trained by men. It's fascinating. And James is, is talking about God has given man the ability to tame and to train many of the animals on this earth. But right after James teaches us what man can tame, he makes his most dynamic point in verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Beloved, isn't it astonishing that man can tame even the wildest of animals? But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that no man can tame the tongue, this small member of the body. And as the text says, it calls the tongue a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Here's the word picture behind that phrase, deadly poison. It's that of a snake getting ready to strike, to inject its, its lethal venom in its prey. Reminds us of Psalm 140, verse 3. Here's what that text says. Psalm 143, they make their tongue sharp as a serpent. This is talking about evil men. They make their tongue sharp as serpents, and under their lips is the venom of asps. 
Another vivid picture. The text is giving us a vicious and devastating illustration of the depravity of man's tongue, yet man is in charge of that tongue. And he can't tame it. He can't tame the tongue. Friends, for you and for me as believers, what does this show us? What does this teach us? Exactly what it taught us last week. We need the Lord in our lives. When we can't tame the tongue, that shows us that we can't do it ourselves. You remember the song we sang last week? Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And I need you, God, in my life because I can't tame my tongue by myself. I need the patience that comes uh, as part of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I need the self-control, God, that you give me as part of being a a believer, as part of the Holy Spirit being in my life. Friends, I want you to know the book of James. Yes, it's practical truth for the Christian life, but really it's all about lordship. We're learning what it means to live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior. He covers our sin. He washes our sins away, but he is also our Lord. Our life doesn't need to be, as we learned this weekend on the men's retreat, we don't need to just commit to Christ. We need to what, men? Surrender. Surrender everything we are, our tongues, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God, how we need you because left unchecked, my tongue is like a snake that's going to strike and give that venom to someone else. Friends, the tongue is untamable by man. Our second point today, the tongue shouldn't be divided. Let's reread 9 through 12. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers... These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. When the Apostle Paul writes the book of Galatians, near the end of the book in the fifth chapter, we'll look at it. He talks to them about the fight of the Christian life. This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. J.C. Ryle, Bishop Ryle, once wrote a book called Holiness. I encourage you to read that book at some point in your Christian life. Holiness is the best book I've ever read on sanctification, on growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And in that book... Again, he's talking about living under the Lordship of Christ. There's a chapter in that book called The Fight. The Fight. 
And he describes the whole Christian life as a fight. He says, in the Christian life, the Christian is going to battle the flesh, the world, and the devil. The world is this present evil age. The flesh is that sin nature that Paul's talking about here in the text, that he fights it every single day. Satan, of course, is our enemy, the prince of the power of the air that we fight every single day. And that the Christian is engaged in this spiritual battle. It's a fight. And sometimes in that fight, we feel like Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. We'll put that text on the screen. The apostle Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not, <clears throat> excuse me, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Have you ever felt that way? It's a fight. Listen, it's a fight. Yet God has given us his Holy Spirit that we might abide in him and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh but it's a fight and you see the fight illustrated here in James chapter 3 if you, if you use your sermon notes or look at the end of the text you see the examples that uh, James is using as he describes this fight the first one is a spring there's this spring and out of the same spring does fresh water and salt water come out no of course not you can't have fresh water and salt water out of the same spring. Then he picks up another example, a fig tree. Does a fig tree bear olives? We know the answer, of course not. It's not an olive tree, it's a fig tree. Can a grapevine produce pig, produce pi figs? Not pigs. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> That's another illustration. We won't do that one. Can a grapevine produce figs? Does a salt pond yield fresh water? And his whole point is that, you know, look at nature. Of course not. Of course not. That's why he says in the middle of this text to the Christians, these things ought not to be. But there is a fight that goes on. So let's bring this from examples, or let's bring this from, the, from these examples down to practical life, okay? Where in the Bible do we see someone really struggling with his words? And we'll use the illustration here, we'll just call it salt water, fresh water, where you have maybe salt water and fresh water coming from the same mouth. You think about that in the Bible? Let, let's think about Peter for just a second. Peter. Jesus says, you're going to deny me, right? Three times. What does he say? I'm not going to deny you. I would die for you, Jesus. Man, that's some good fresh water. That sounds great. Man, that's a bold faith. I would die for you, Jesus. I would never deny you. But what happens soon after that? Salt water starts pouring out of the same mouth. Not once, not twice, three times 
Peter denies Jesus to the point of cursing. It was a fight for Peter. Friends, how about your life and my life? Is there salt water flowing and fresh water flowing in in your life? How about this one? How about at work? Maybe at work, that's where your animals are tamed. You talk well to your employees. You respect your boss. You have great conversations with your coworkers. Everything is tamed. But then you come home. And all that fresh water that you had poured out all day stops. And there's nothing but salt water being poured out to your wife or your husband. There's salt water being poured out on your children. Friends, as this text says, this should not be. How about this? How about there's a group of people in your life that you're willing to be truthful to them? You're being honest with them. But there's another group of people, for whatever reason, maybe you feel like you can get an advantage, but you lie to them. You're deceitful to them on purpose. And only you know it. It's, in, it's only in your heart. No one, no one else knows this. But is that going on? Is there fresh water being poured out here? Is there salt water being poured out here? Teenagers. How often is it that to someone's face you'll be nice, you'll say good things, complimenting things, but as soon as that person walks away, maybe down the hall or to another classroom, you're bashing that, that same person to your other friends. That in front of their face it's fresh water, but once they're gone, it's all salt water. How often do we do this, beloved, using social media? For many people, social media is the opportunity to have all the salt water we want because we don't have to be face-to-face. We can hide behind this image of Facebook or whatever it might be, and you can just blow it up on Facebook, yet we would never do that in front of someone. This ought not be. Friends, what do we here in the South use as justification for our salt water? Bless your heart. He's just not smart. Bless his heart. Man, wasn't that a dumb decision? Bless his heart. Bless her heart. We think bless his heart, bless her heart. That is this, that's this, the spring water that covers up all the salt water. And we justify things that way. What does the text say? These things ought not be so. Friends, if nature is unable to go against this natural function, Christians, we should not be going against our natural 
nature of being a saint. See, God calls believers saints, that we are identified with Christ. Paul said it this way in in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, put off the old man and put on the new. And of course, this is not on our own strength. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's bringing our lives under the lordship of King Jesus, casting our tongue uh, at, at his feet, not just committing to him, right? But surrendering to him everything we are. So let's look at this last point. Our tongue needs the wisdom of Scripture. What I'm going to do now is go outside the book of James. On your bulletin, you'll see the verses. These are verses I want to encourage you to meditate on. Psalm chapter 1 says, The blessed man meditates on the Word of God day and night. Have your mind trained for godliness, as Paul tells Timothy. These are some verses to ponder to do that. The first one is the first one we looked at this morning, Proverbs 12, 18. Ponder this. We've already looked at it. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay? Sword thrust, damaging. But you could use them to be healing. Which one are you doing with your words? Damaging or healing? It's one or the other. The next verse, Psalm 1914. We looked at this last week. I encourage you to pray this at the beginning of every day. What does it say? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay? So is what you're saying, is that acceptable to God? I mean, that's a good question to just ask yourself before you say it. Is what I'm getting ready to say pleasing in the sight of God? So it calls us to evaluate what we're getting ready to say. The next one, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Okay, let's just stop right there and talk about that phrase. What is grace? Receiving something you don't deserve. So When our speech is gracious, we're letting other people receive things they don't deserve. Okay? So in our words, in your day, are you being gracious with your speech, merciful in your speech? Are you allowing other people to receive something that they might not really deserve, but you're encouraging them in gracious speech? Now, let's look at the last part of that verse. We'll put it back. Seasoned with what? Salt. All the men this weekend watched me eat a whole, we had two pounds of bull peanuts we were passing around. Had a lot of salt in it. And those peanuts stayed good because they had so much salt in them. Because salt is a preservative. Okay? With your words, be like a preservative, be like salt. What does a preservative do? It keeps out the bad, it keeps in the good. Maybe you were the one called in your workplace or in your school, in whatever environment you are, to keep the conversation clean, to keep out the bad, to keep in the good, the God-honoring things in the conversation. 
Salt also brings out the flavors of things. Bring out the flavor of the gospel in your speech. What are the flavors of the gospel? How about the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the flavors of the gospel, serving each other in our words. The next one, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Focus on one phrase there, building up. What's the opposite of building up? Tearing down. Using the sword with sword thrusts. Friends, we have the opportunities to do one of two things with words. We can build up. Or we can tear down. The next one, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. A soft or slow answer is going to turn away wrath. But if we decide to go with harsh words, it's going to stir up that anger. The next one, Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. You know what this says? The common sense of this verse is sometimes the best thing to do is be quiet. Right, husbands? Right, wives? Sometimes the best thing to do is to be quiet. And that's what this is saying. Even a fool knows to keep quiet, knows to be silent. And he's considered wise. And the last one, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You see that res- the, the restraint here taught in the Bible, these last several verses... Restraint is sometimes so helpful with our words. When we, get with, when we have so many words, man, transgression is not going to be lacking. Friends, these are just some, just some of, of the wisdom that, that the whole Bible gives for words. The blessed man meditates on the word of God day and night. Meditate on these verses. Think through them. Friends, as we conclude this morning, this section, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3 of James, it has taught us so much about the tongue. Like the bit in the mouth of a horse, a rudder on a ship, a spark in a forest fire. It's talked about taming animals, but not being able to tame the tongue. It's given us so many examples of this fresh spring, saltwater spring, this fig tree bearing olives, grapevine producing Figs, not pigs. The salt pond doesn't yield fresh water. We've learned today that words can either build up or tear down. They can be harmful like a sword thrust. They can be tasteful and preserving like salt. But not one of us here can tame the tongue. 
It's restless evil, full of deadly poison. That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. He's the one. The Holy Spirit will bring our tongue under the rule and the reign of Christ. Lord, we need you. Oh, how we need you. And may we earnestly ask God that we say things that are only pleasing to him. Things that are gracious, seasoned with salt. Things that are edifying, giving soft answers instead of harsh ones. Not being a fool, but full of restraint. Making sure salt water doesn't come out of the fresh water spout. Making sure that olives aren't growing on our fig trees. Keeping in mind that rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Friends, may the words of our mouths, may the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable unto God. He is our rock. He is our redeemer. Pray with me, please.